You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program in segments two and three is returning guest expert, Mr. Michael Pento. I'll get Michael's take on what he calls the grand reconciliation of asset prices and current stock and real estate valuations. You'll want to stay tuned for that. And if you are not yet in possession of the August special report titled Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion, I would invite you to get the report available during the month of August only. All you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send you a copy as well as some bonus information that will include a copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, as well as some current market forecasts. So again, to get that entire package of information at no cost and with no further obligation, just visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. Now, if you're a new listener to the RLA radio program, I want to take some time in this segment to introduce you to one of my core economic beliefs. And I'm doing that today because I believe it's especially applicable to where we find ourselves today. And if you have an IRA or a 401k and the current market action is making you a bit nervous and understandably so, I think what I'm going to talk to you about in this segment will give you a better perspective on where we might be headed. Now, this core economic belief, or I should say a core economic principle, is one over which I claim no ownership. However, it is an economic principle that I believe is impossible to refute when you study history despite the fact that there are many politicians, policymakers, and pundits who regularly try to dispute what I believe to be an eternal economic truth. Now, this principle was succinctly and articulately stated by one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, who said this, and I quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency— First by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Now, for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with how the Federal Reserve controls U.S. monetary policy, we talk about it a lot here on the program, one of the first things you need to understand about the Federal Reserve is that it is a private group of bankers. So we are doing today exactly what Mr. Jefferson warned us not to do. That's a big surprise to many people when I bring it up. Now, I believe there is a lot of wisdom in what Mr. Jefferson had to say. Let's focus on the first by inflation, then by deflation part of what Mr. Jefferson said. And again, for context, he said first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Now, inflation, if you define it strictly, is an expansion 
of the currency supply. Deflation, also defined strictly, is a contraction of the currency supply. Currency in the United States since 1971, and if you're a longtime listener to the program, you know that is when then-President Richard Nixon eliminated the link or eliminated the convertibility for foreign investors and foreign entities of the U.S. dollar into gold. It was at that point in August of 1971, 51 years ago, that the U.S. dollar became a fiat currency. Now, if this whole idea of currency being loaned into existence or the whole idea of currency being debt is new to you, here's the gist. Banks have a reserve requirement presently of 10%. That means if you make a currency deposit of $100,000 into your bank, your banker must reserve 10% or $10,000. The balance of your deposit can be loaned to another bank customer. Now, say your banker takes $90,000, which is 90% of your $100,000 deposit, and let's say that banker loans that $90,000 to another bank customer for the purchase of a motorhome. The bank customer gives the $90,000 loan proceeds to the motorhome dealer. The motorhome dealer deposits $90,000 into her bank account, that banker in turn reserves 10% or $9,000 and loans out the other $81,000. It's this sequence of depositing and lending as it repeats itself that creates currency. And this cycle repeats itself as long as there are willing borrowers. Now, if you go to the New York Federal Reserve Bank website, you will find an explanation of this process. It will tell you that a $100,000 deposit into one bank can expand to a million dollars when banks have a 10% reserve requirement if the velocity of money is high enough. So the point I'm making here is that currency is created through the lending process. So in the past, when the Federal Reserve wanted to create more currency, they would reduce interest rates, thereby encouraging more borrowing. More borrowing meant more currency would be created and the currency supply would be expanded, creating a level of inflation that the Fed told us was healthy and would allow for economic growth. Now, as a side note, this whole idea of healthy inflation is, in my view, a bogus idea, but that is another topic for another day. The point I am making here is that currency is debt and currency creation is essentially debt creation. Debt creation drives up asset prices, but because debt creation cannot continue indefinitely, it can't go on forever, debt fuel bubbles eventually have to burst. Now, I believe, here we are in August, and I believe that the stock market bubble is in the process of unwinding. We've had a bit of a rally here of late after a terrible first part of the year. That's pretty normal because markets never go straight up or straight down, or they rarely do. Now it seems that housing, as I have been discussing on the program, seems poised to follow suit. There was an article 
in Zero Hedge that I quoted in the September issue of my client newsletter. This is a bit from the article. Another month, another plunge in housing. Hot on the heels of the latest catastrophic home builders sentiment print and plunging single-family starts and permits, analysts expected existing home sales to accelerate their recent decline with a 4.9% month-over-month drop in July. They were right. However, they missed the magnitude. Sales were not down the projected 4.9%. Instead, they fell 5.9%. That is the sixth straight month of existing home sales declines. That's the longest stretch since 2013. Home sales are down 20%, more than 20% year over year. Now, I believe this is probably just getting started. The National Association of Realtors Chief Economist Lawrence Yoon said, quote, the ongoing sales decline reflects the impact of the mortgage rate peak of 6% in early June. He said home sales may soon stabilize since mortgage rates have fallen to near 5%. Now, I, again, don't look for that to be the case. Now, if you look at the seasonally adjusted uh, rate annually, it's called the, the seasonally annually adjusted rate of home sales, you see now that home sales, with the exception of when COVID hit, they are now lower than at any point since the great financial crisis. So I expect... As I'll talk about in the next segment with my special guest, Mr. Michael Pinto, that we will see this reconciliation of asset prices, as he will call it. I believe that we'll see asset prices return to more historically normal levels. As they do, your IRA and 401k may be uh, affected. So I would encourage you to get my special packet of information this month, the report, Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion Now, as well as the economic forecasts, as well as a couple copies of my best-selling book, One Being Revenue Sourcing, are all available by visiting requestyourreport.com. Visit the website requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to get you this complimentary box of information. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Michael Pento. Uh, Michael is the host of the very popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about his work at pentoport.com. And Michael, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me back on, Dennis. So, Michael, uh, I'm not sure what the new definition of a recession is. Uh, I always thought it was uh, two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. I may be wrong. Uh, Where do you think we are? Are we in recession? Well, the first half of the year, GDP was lower than the start of the year. So, I mean, yes, 
the economy is in contraction territory. So, you know, you can change the definition of a bear market. You can change the definition of a recession. And they're now trying to change the definition of a dovish pivot from Powell. So, you know, the central banker used to be dovish or pivoting dovishly if they lowered rates from wherever they were back to zero or we're lowering rates back to zero and doing QE. Now, the definition of a dovish central banker is one that's no longer hiking at 75 basis point increments, but is now hiking at 50 basis point increments, hopefully. <laughs> so, I mean, that is not a dovish central bank. We have over 80 global central bankers now hiking interest rates into a global recession. Now, you can define that any way you like, but those are the facts, and they're not pretty. So, so Michael, when, when you look at the economy, here we have an economy that is in recession. We have inflation that is still raging. Uh, this just looks like it's going to be a hard landing and, and, and going to be ugly, and, and there's no way out of it. Uh, well, what's your take? Well, there's no easy way out of it. There's a, a very... Uh, smart way out of it. It's painful, but it, I call it the grand reconciliation of asset prices, Dennis. I mean, you just can't have home prices go up 20% per atom forever and ever. Amen. You, you just can't do it. I mean, you've priced out the first time home buyer. The real estate market is now a systemic risk to the global economy once again. Um, what you need to do is have asset prices come back to some form of reconciliation. The total market cap of equities was 210% of GDP in January of this year. You had some $14 trillion of negative sign foreign debt around the world. So negative interest rates, $14 trillion at its peak. Now, those, those rates have come down, but you have an, an unbelievable, an epic triumvirate of asset bubbles stocks, bonds, and real estate, all existing concurrently. And what you need to do is have the Central Bank of the United States, regardless of what happens, bring the Fed funds rate above the rate of inflation. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe inflation has peaked. I think it's coming down, but it's coming down from 9.1% down to you know, what I think probably will be mid single digits by the end of the year. So the Fed has to have the uh, bravery, I wouldn't call it temerity because it's not foolish bravery, it's just bravery, to do the right thing. Bring interest rates to 3.5% at the minimum, leave them there for the next few years, regardless of what happens to asset prices, and then let's reconcile this economy and have a real economy, not one, Dennis, that is clinging to every word from Jerome Powell. I mean, we don't do any discount of cash flow analysis anymore. We don't look at the economy anymore. We're looking at what Jerome Powell, one unelected official, is going to do. Because if he's dovish and he's cutting rates, then we just have stagflation forever. If he's raising rates to a real, in a real sense, you know, above the rate of inflation, we're going to have a deflationary depression. But that's because of what they did, not anything that we did. It's because we've given central bankers plenary, plenary power to, to run our economy, and it's a disgrace.
Michael, you mentioned deflationary depression. Though That's obviously a very uh, uh, ominous combination of words when you describe where we might be headed. But is that, in your view, the inevitable outcome here? Well, that would be it's not a, it's not inevitable um, in the short term. It all depends on the central bank. Like I said, right now, look, look what the, the data was today. We had a flash U.S. services PMI at 44.1. Now, that was a 27 month low. And I want to remind you, Dennis, that the Fed started hiking rates from zero in March of this year. They're going to go from 0% to 3.3% on the effective Fed funds rate by the end of this year. And monetary policy works with a lag. So the rate hikes that have occurred in March really aren't going to start taking effect until September. We're not even there yet. So we have a global recession, and the effect of central bank tightening hasn't really even started yet. And you add to that the fact that we have $95 billion a month of burning of base money supply starting in the next few weeks. So yeah, deflationary depression is painful, but absolutely necessary in the short term, because if they don't, if they don't do the right thing, if the Federal Reserve and the rest of the central bankers in the important economies, and I'm talking about Europe, Japan, the United States, and China. If they don't do the right thing, and clearly they're not doing the right thing in Japan, and clearly they're not doing the right thing in China. But I have my doubts as if China can actually save the world like they did in 2008. So we, we're not, they're not as important as they used to be. Their, their, their population growth, their labor force growth, growth is shrinking. They have very little productivity. Their housing market is a disaster. So don't look for China to save the world this time. The central bankers around the world have to engender, as best they can, a reconciliation of asset prices, no matter what the consequences are in the short term. Because if they don't, we're going to be left with intractable stagflation, which, by the way, as you probably were alluding to, eventually will lead to that deflationary depression because you cannot have interest rates, long duration bonds rise inexorably and have a nice outcome for the stock market or the economy. So, Michael, I, I, I certainly uh, hear what you're saying and agree with you. And when it comes to the Fed doing the right thing and, and hanging in there, is it realistic to expect that Jerome Powell is going to say, yeah, the economy's contracting, we are in this severe recession, but uh, it's necessary, we just need to suck it up and get through it, and things will be better on the other side? I mean, is, is that something Powell's really going to say? Um. He will say it. He's saying it now. I mean, he, that's, that's out of his own mouth. He just says, you know, it might be a soft landing. It might not be a soft landing, but we have to fight inflation. We have to bring inflation down to 2%. 8.5% is much higher than 2 It's four times, over four times higher than the Fed's asinine target of 2%. I mean, I, I, as to why a central banker put in charge of making sure um, your purchasing power is maintained, in other words, they should be charged with 0% inflation, but somehow it's two. It's over four times that level. Uh, so uh, will he continue to fight inflation? Yeah, I think he will until the credit markets freeze. 
And in other words, until commercial paper can't be floated, until you cannot float a junk bond, until the repo market comes under stress, despite their overnight uh, facility that they have. So yes, Powell will continue to fight inflation until we have a steep recession that leads to a credit crisis. And then I think he has to uh, relent to the markets because, you know, there's one thing you can lie about inflation. You can lie about it. They lie about it now. I mean, they, they claim inflation is 8.5%. If you measure it the way it used to be measured pre-Boskin, it's, it's really 17%. So you can lie about inflation and tell people, hey, you know, you have a job, uh, you have an income, uh, but uh, inflation isn't that bad, even though you're spending all of your income on food, uh, food fuel, and housing. You can lie to them about that. But what you can't lie about is a deflationary depression because you lose your job. You can't tell people that they have a job when they're not working. So the, the worst outcome for a central banker is a deflationary depression. It's necessary. It's needed. It would be healthy. But they, too, will relent once the credit markets break and we have that deep recession. I want to hasten to add, Dennis, that if we have that scenario where the Fed continues to hike rates, they raise the 33 to 3.5%, the recession intensifies globally, before they relent and start to cut rates, before central bankers start to fix everything again, or and I put that word fix in quotes, that's not going to be good news for the stock market. <laughs> you know, you have a credit market freeze again, and asset prices will plunge 30% plus, in my opinion, in a very short amount of time before the Fed can do anything. Now, remember, the Fed needs to, and this is a real pivot, they need to cut rates from where they will be by the end of this year, 3.3%, so three and a quarter to three and a half, effective Fed funds, 33 back to zero. They need to go back into QE. They will be very reluctant to do that given the fact that the sting of record high inflation is going to be just months in the rearview mirror. Well, my guest today is Mr. Michael Pento. He is the host of the popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about his work at pentoport.com. And, uh, Mike, we've got uh, a little over a minute left in this segment. Why don't you explain to the listeners what it is that you do? Well, I'm an SEC-registered uh, investment advisory firm, a fiduciary. Um, I have a website called pentoport.com. Uh, in that website, you have access to a free five-week trial of my podcast, which I record every Wednesday evening. Uh, it's a five-week free trial. If you like it, it's $50 a year. And I give you the, the actual economic data that you need to know that's not well promulgated by the mainstream financial media. And on top of that, I give you some pretty good insights as to how you should interpret that data. And if you have $100,000, the minimum of $100,000 to invest, and you are a U.S. citizen, you can contact me and my firm through that website, and I will manage your money myself for you. Well, my guest today again, Mr. Michael Pento. The website is pentoport.com. I'll continue my conversation with Mr. Michael Pento when our LA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I am Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. Michael Pento. If you're just joining me, uh, Michael hosts the very popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check, and you can learn more about his work and the podcast at pentoport.com. And, uh, Michael, I just want to kind of pick up uh, on a couple topics that uh, you know you discussed in the last segment. Um, you mentioned that at some point the credit markets will will break and the Fed will be forced to step in and, and fix them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing maybe the, the beginning of that now. I was reading this week that uh, First Guarantee declared bankruptcy. A lot of the non-bank lenders in the mortgage arena are having significant financial issues. Are we seeing the beginning of these, these credit markets now breaking down? Well, if you look at the uh, – I, I like to look at the uh, high-yield option-adjusted spread – and it, it rose from in January of 2022. At the beginning of this year, it was about 300 basis points spread between 10-year sovereign debt and uh, the high-yield uh, junk bond market. That, that index uh, arose to almost 6% uh, in uh, early July. Now we're back to about 4.5, 4.6, 460 basis points spread. But that spread is starting to unravel. And that, just what that means is that what you're seeing in the credit markets is people are rushing to U.S. sovereign debt, bringing yields lower, in, and I'm saying in relative terms, rel- relative to the riskiest corporate debt, high yield and junk bonds. And that's just showing that people are starting to be very fearful of defaults in the credit markets. And so if you follow, this is one of the things I follow. Also, I've, part of my 20-point model is the spread between the 10-year note, sovereign U.S. debt, and the two-year note. That's been inverted for quite some time now, and it actually went to an inversion of 50 basis points not too long ago. That's the steepest inversion we've had since the early 80s, and we still are inverted today by about 25, 30 basis points. So a recession is here. A recession in a more intense variety is coming And I think the first part of 2023 is going to bring an exacerbation of that freezing or that stress in the credit markets, which will eventually lead to a genuine Powell pivot. As I talked about in in segment one, a Powell pivot is when the Fed cuts rates significantly, like they did in the year 2000. They had to cut rates by 525 basis points. They did it again in 2008, all the way back to zero this time in 2008. They did it uh, in 2019. They went from two and a half down to one and three quarters before COVID hit. Then they returned to zero and went to unlimited QE. Now, those examples, those examples are examples of real and genuine pivots, Dennis, a pivot is not raising rates by 50 basis points instead of 75. A pivot isn't going from $47.5 billion a month in quantitative tightening to $95 billion a month in quantitative tightening, which Powell said will last to two to two and a half years in duration. That's, that came out of his mouth in the press conference. Nobody's talking about that. Two and a half years? So that you're over a trillion dollars of base money supply is supposed to be burned in 2023. You will definitely, I can't guarantee anything. I look at putting the odds of investing in my favor and in my client's favor. 
you are most likely going to freeze the credit markets again. And that is not good news for stocks. Like today, we have the stock market loves the fact that new home sales month over month plunged 12.5%. They love the fact that the flash S&P global uh, combination index, so the combination of services and manufacturing indexes, called the composite index, plunged to minus, it's, it's, it's below 50, 44. They love that fact. Why, Dennis? You say, why would the stock market go up? Because they believe that's going to lead to a Powell pivot. You will probably hear Friday at the Jackson Hole speech from Jerome Powell, there is no such pivot coming until the credit markets freeze. And that is not good news for the stock market. So very soon, bad news in the economy, which you're going to get in spades. You're going to get a plethora of bad economic data, both in the United States, in Europe, the UK, China, Japan. You pick the country. Turkey, you pick the country. You're going to get a plethora of a, a, a parade of bad economic data. That is just going to be bad news for stocks because the Calvary isn't coming. They cannot pivot, not with inflation, four times higher than their ridiculous 2% target. So, Michael, in the first segment, you suggested that stocks, uh, I believe you said uh, maybe 30% plus downside from here after the correction we've already experienced. Uh, is that a fair uh, statement to say that, that that would be your forecast? Okay. So, uh, I, I, this is a newsflash for you, Dennis. I'm not God. <laughs> but I will tell you that stocks, in my opinion, and that's how I'm investing, uh, are headed lower I think they're headed much lower. A 30% figure that I stated was just a mathematical determination based upon putting the total value of equities as a percentage of the economy back to 100%, which historically is still high. And that assumes that GDP, the denominator, doesn't fall, and that's not going to happen. So GDP is going to fall in nominal terms, in my opinion. So 30% is an indication of how far we have to fall just to be reasonably valued as far as that ratio of total assets, total market cap of GDP as a percentage of the underlying economy. Now, I think you, can go, you could go much lower than that. That depends on when Powell actually pivots, and that's determined by when the credit markets freeze. So it might be 20, it might be 30, it might be 50. I can't tell you, but I will tell you this again, that the stock market today at 170% of GDP is in not, not in any regards reflective of the underlying conditions of global central banks tightening into a worldwide recession. And Michael, when you quote that 170% figure uh, for market cap uh, to GDP, um, I, I think, and this is off the top of my head, but, but aren't those valuations still higher than they were at the peak of the tech stock bubble a couple decades ago? The, so the peak of the tech stock bubble was 140%. You are exactly correct. 140%. In, in March of 2000, the total market cap of equities was 140% of GDP. In 2007, before the stock market dropped by 
in the in the suit until March of 2009. That figure was 104 percent of GDP. So, so when people say, you know, Mike, Mr. Pento, you said 30 percent decline. You know, you're a perma bear. I, listen, ask my clients if I'm a perma bear. It's just not true. I've been long many times in the past, and correctly so. Long in a net sense in the portfolio. I'm just telling you, Dennis, and your clients, and anybody else who's, who's, who's listening, that if you think at 170% of underlying GDP, that this market is pricing in anything but a perfectly soft and innocuous landing from the Federal Reserve, it's already priced in that almost impossible feat of unwinding three of the greatest asset bubbles in history, and I'm just naming three, stocks, bonds, and real estate. I'm not including uh, SPACs or Bitcoin or any of the other uh, ridiculous bubbles out there. I'm just saying that the big three, if you think that the Federal Reserve has any history of unwinding an asset bubble innocuously, you'd be wrong, except for like, you know, maybe uh, 19, they, they like to point to the early 80s as an example of peak inflation being great for stocks. Well, in the early 80s, uh, the P ratio was 7.7 times. The, the price to earnings ratio was 7.7. Um, so uh, we're not there. We're now we're 21 and a half times trailing 12-month earnings in the S&P 500. So we're not, we're not even close to that. Oh, by the way, the total market cap of equities back then was 35% <laughs> as a percentage of GDP. So we're, you know, the valuations are insane and they have to come down. And it's my job as an investment advisor to first protect our investors' principal and then to safely ride asset bubbles higher when the liquidity and macroeconomic conditions are correct. And right now, they are a 400-mile-an-hour headwind. So, Michael, in the time we have left, uh, we've talked a bit about stocks, and uh, you know, you're talking about this uh, uh, grand reconciliation of asset prices. Uh, what do you think that means for real estate moving ahead? Is this going to look like you know 2006, seven all over again? Uh, well, I don't think it's going to look. Let me just tell you, it's not going to be as bad probably as 2006 to 2008 in the real estate sector before home prices dropped. I think it was 33 percent annually. Uh, 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 nationally, um, because the underwriting standards are better this time around. However, I hasten to add that the home price to income ratio has never been higher. So the, the rate of increase in home prices in nominal terms is off the charts. And even as a percentage of income, it's higher, much higher today than it was in 2005, 2006. So could you get a correction of 20% in the real estate sector? Absolutely. And that is uh, uh, going to be a function of how deep and how long the recession lasts. So um, I would not be at all surprised if it's 20%, not 30%, but really 20% haircut in the principle of a person's home is going to put a lot of homeowners, a lot of mortgages underwater once again. 
Well, my guest today has been Mr. Michael Pento. He is the host of the popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about the podcast and Michael's work at pentoport.com. Michael, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Love to have you back for an update down the road, and thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Dennis. We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to my special guest this week, Mr. Michael Pento, for joining me on today's program. If you are just tuning in, August is the month to get the special report titled Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion. You can get that report by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. And when you go to that website and request your report, I'll also send you a copy of my revenue sourcing book. Um, I will also send you some economic forecasts in the form of a monthly newsletter. You'll get a big box of stuff absolutely free and with no obligation. Uh, Again, go to the website requestyourreport.com. Let us know where to mail this information, and we will be very glad to do so. So the Inflation Reduction Act is now law. One of the consequences of the Inflation Reduction Act becoming law, in my view, is more inflation. Now, why do I say that? Well, the inflation math concludes that there really cannot be any other outcome. Now, let me walk you through some inflation math. When the government or any other entity for that matter, spends more than it takes in, we say that expenditures exceed income and the result is a deficit. Deficit spending needs to be covered by borrowing money to make up the shortfall. If you spend more than you take in, if your expenses are more than your income, you have to have somebody loan you the difference in order to be able to spend the money. Now, if you spend at a deficit repeatedly, if you spend at a deficit chronically, you will eventually see the pool of lenders who are willing to cover your deficit spending shrink. And ultimately, it will reach a point that there are no lenders left to cover the operating deficit. Now, that is essentially... where the U.S. has been with the Federal Reserve becoming the lender of last resort, creating currency to at least indirectly cover the operating deficit. Now, as we all are experiencing, massive levels of currency creation has led to inflation despite attempts to spin the inflation story and the recession story more favorably. Now, the bottom line is this. The inflation math is undeniable. When deficit spending can only be covered by currency creation, a point of no return has been reached. 
The math dictates that expenditures must not exceed income if currency creation is to cease. So that simple fact has me concluding that the Inflation Reduction Act will not reduce inflation. Now, Dr. Ron Paul, who has been a past guest here on the program, had this to say about it. He said, this bill will not only increase inflation, it will also increase government spending and taxes. Paul wrote this, Inflation is the act of money creation by the Federal Reserve. High prices are one adverse effect of inflation, along with bubbles and the bursting of bubbles. One reason the Federal Reserve increases the money supply is to keep interest rates low, thus enabling the federal government to run large deficits without incurring unmanageable interest payments. Paul goes on to say, quote, The so-called Inflation Reduction Act increases government spending. For example, the bill authorizes spending hundreds of billions of dollars of energy and fighting climate change. Much of this is subsidies for renewable energy. In other words, green corporate welfare. Government programs subsidizing certain industries take resources out of the hands of investors and entrepreneurs who allocate resources in accordance with the wants and needs of consumers, and they give the resources to the government, where resources are allocated according to the agendas of politicians and bureaucrats. When government takes resources out of the market, it also disrupts the price system through which entrepreneurs, investors, workers, and consumers discover the true value of goods and services. Paul said green energy programs will lead to increased cronyism and waste. The bill's authors claim the legislation fights inflation by reducing the deficit via tax increases on the rich and a new 15% minimum corporate tax. Tax increases won't reduce the deficit if, as is going to be the case, Congress continues increasing spending. Paul concludes by saying there's never a good time to raise taxes, but the absolute worst time for tax increases is when, as is the case today, the economy is both suffering from price inflation and, despite the gaslighting coming from the Biden administration and its apologists, is in a recession. I certainly agree with Dr. Paul that the Inflation Reduction Act will not reduce inflation. And Paul makes another point saying that, you know, if you increase spending and you increase taxes, that's going to increase pressure on the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates low. And if you do that, you're going to increase inflation. If Congress was serious about ending inflation, it would cut spending. That is the point that I have been making all year here on the RLA radio program. And I believe that that is the case, and that is why I believe that uh, we won't see a big reduction in inflation as a result of this particular bill. Now, again, I want to remind you that this is the last day to get the August special report titled Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion. The report is available by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. 
When you request a report, I will also send you two of the most recent client newsletters that will give you economic commentary and an economic forecast. You'll also get a copy of my new retirement rules book on which the class that we're conducting here locally is based. Uh, You'll also get a copy of the best-selling revenue sourcing book that will reveal to you strategies that you might consider for your current situation in light of the current economy. And if you're not taking advantage of all the free resources at the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website, I would encourage you to do so. The web address is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And when you visit the website, you'll be able to get access to the podcast. You'll also be able to get access to the Monday Headline Roundup newscast that I do every Monday live, but uh, they're recorded, they're posted there as well. And you'll also get a copy of the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. That's all available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I'd encourage you to go there and check it out. I will be back again next week. Hope you got something this week that you can use.